0: You're listening to Innovation for Alpha, where we explore everything at the intersection of healthcare innovation and finance. Through our discussions and interviews, we keep you informed and educated about healthcare innovations, next level venture investing, and everything involving the combination of the two.
1: Hi, this is Tobin Arthur with the Innovation for Alpha podcast, and we are coming today with, uh, in advance of the Healthcare Impact Investment Summit, uh, being executive produced by my colleague, Mike Shamanski. and we are very pleased to be featuring uh, an interesting startup called Recalibrate, and led by Brian Bagwandan. Brian's going to tell us a little bit about the company, give us an update on the company, and Brian, uh, welcome to the program.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Mike, I'll turn the floor over to you to uh, lead the questions. Absolutely. So Brian and I first met when he appeared on one of our pitch clubs last fall. Uh, we've come a long way, and I know he has as well. Brian, could you tell us a little bit about exactly the problems is you're trying to solve regarding uh, childhood stress and trauma?
0: So uh, toxic stress is uh, sort of a vernacular for um, for a dysregulated stress system. Um, when, uh, when the stress system is working normally, uh, a child or, uh, an adult will experience a threat. There will be a release of, of stress hormones into their system. Um, when the threat disappears after 20 minutes or so, um, hormone levels, uh, return to normal. Um, in, in the situation of toxic stress, it's chronic unbuffered stress in children, which, um, which really means that you have... Uh, an excess of stress hormones coursing through the bloodstream and there is not a buffer which the probably the best buffer for children is a uh, a caring adult that can help reduce that stress level give the the the, the child a sense of uh, calm and security and returning those stress uh, hormones to to normal Got it. So in
1: an adult, obviously, stress levels were certainly familiar with the impact that that can have in terms of blood pressure, cardiovascular, but in children, I would assume that's even more extreme, I mean, affecting their entire developmental regime.
0: That's exactly right, Michael. Um, It turns out that that uh, when you see uh, toxic stress in children, you end up disrupting a lot of normal development. You uh, disrupt the brain uh, uh, brain development. You disrupt immune system development. As a consequence, you see um, you see learning disorders, decreased achievement, um, uh, lack of executive function in the frontal cortex, um, lack of ability to to really uh, hold the attention of a child uh, when they get to school. Needless to say. Um, that creates real problems. uh, uh, Longer term with the immune system having been compromised in in childhood and during development, you see um, a much higher and significant uh, risk of seven of the 10 leading causes of death in America.
1: And also, I would imagine, um, given what you mentioned about the best buffer against these toxic stress situations, being a caring parent, you likely have situations where it's a double whammy. Um, you have a situation where you have a toxic stress environment, maybe you have a single stressed mother herself or some other situations going on in the home environment. So the child doesn't have that buffer against the further stress. And now you have the reality that that parent isn't necessarily able to be fully active in monitoring the stress level of their child or making sure that they are getting the services they
0: need. That That's, a, that's, that's true. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, when, with, um, Something that I don't think a lot of of individuals understand is that that, uh, young children, I mean, stress can actually accumulate in the womb um, uh, with with an infant because the mother's stress hormones are in the blood that is being shared with the child. Um, And so if you have a stressful pregnancy, it is going to affect the child. And then as the child comes out, uh, even as an infant, before they're able to talk or really articulate their own experiences... They're normalizing. They're trying to make sense of the world, and and uh, and frequently they are mirroring their caretaker's stress level. Mm. And so, um, without even knowing it, uh, a very caring and loving parent that is undergoing um, stress in their own life, it is being transferred, it is being understood, and and mirrored by by the child. So it, it can be very very difficult. So as House
1: recalibrates, uh, solution. Uh involved in
0: so we so so we recognize that um that we have at at currently in pediatrics um we monitor a number of systems to to define what is healthy development we look at the respiratory system we look at the cardiovascular system the autonomic nervous system we we look at the um the auditory and visual systems and we do that regularly throughout every wellness checkup to make sure that yes this child is developing normally we understand that the stress response system is something that has really um, uh, implications and costly uh, both uh, um, to the child and to society Um, issues that can that can go wrong if the stress system is not developing in a healthy normal way but we we don't have tools right now to really monitor how is the stress system developing and so we thought if we could develop a rapid, inexpensive way to really monitor the stress physiology of a child and keep those records over time so we can see what the trends are, we can see mm-hmm. when is the child starting to dysregulate, or uh, if the child is developing in a healthy, normal um, way, then then we can feel comfortable and confident about it. But um, So we developed a, a saliva-based cortisol test, which cortisol is the gold standard for, um, for looking at biomarkers for looking at the stress response system. Um, and so in five minutes with a few drops of saliva, we can actually get a, um, a measure of the stress activation of the child. Um, and when we're done with that test, we throw it away. It's a few dollars.
1: Great. So Brian, just so you know, uh, taking a step aside here, we're going to try to keep this, the answers a little shorter just so we get as much, uh,
0: yeah, I, I realized that somewhere in there, and I just didn't know how to shorten it up. That's okay.
1: Don't worry about it. I just wanted to take thirty yep. seconds here, and I'm going to jump back in with the question again here. So, um, so Brian, is the goal to keep this in the doctor's office or to
0: put this in the hands of child service workers as well? We want. We really want to do both. We're going to start in the in the pediatric office and expand outward. Um, you know, COVID has told, taught us a lot about. Uh, about remote monitoring and our device is, is is set up for that we have a handheld reader and disposable test that anybody can use
1: right yeah I mean I think the uh, impact on child welfare welfare offices and things like that would be dramatic giving this the ability to monitor and test in a real-time basis any children that are under the care of the government or under watchful eye of those government services
0: uh, and, and if I could break in here Michael even even through. the home visitation, Ah uh, programs that that exist uh, that aren't uh, government you know government owned or g- government controlled. Um, we see this as an impact assessment tool. There are a number of programs that already exist out there. Um, yeah. Could we look at could we look at the stress levels uh, of kids in in certain environments and could we um, take a measure of how well existing programs are actually working and we can give some hard data to that. Excellent point. You can actually use this as comparative analysis between
1: different solutions. Right. And far be it for me to be a preferential to the government. I'm just feeling like you know, generally speaking, it's funded from that direction. Most of the time, It's just hopefully not all the time going. Right. Forward.
0: Right. But they do have, they do have a great responsibility as they take care of
1: kids. Yeah, absolutely. So Brian, how did you get into this in the first place? Like why did this become something important to you?
0: Um, that's a, that's a great question. I, I, um, I did a lot of volunteer work with um, um, homeless and poor and sort of social development, yeah, or, or social issues. Uh, I, I quickly realized that there are a lot of problems bigger than me with adults. And I shifted my volunteer work to work with children um, a long time ago. And I think this is just a natural extension um, of that when I, uh, because children just don't have agency and so many things are happening to them. Um, outside of their control, and so somebody needs to take responsibility. I learned about toxic stress in a ten 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 program, a venture generator here in Denver, and um, and when I heard about it, I kn- I knew that was something I wanted to engage with. Excellent.
1: So now, beyond money, every entrepreneur always can use money in order to help create runway and space and everything like that. But are there other things that could be helpful out there? Would you like early adoption? Would you need clinical trials? What is it that you really need right now?
0: Well, uh, this isn't an immediate need, Michael, but but one of the things that that is uh, p- part of our strategy is if we're really going to incorporate stress health monitoring into uh, normal assessment of healthy development, we need the next generation of pediatricians to be thinking that way and to understand that. And so part of our um, our strategy is not only to introduce the, this product to pediatricians' offices, but also to partner with strategic pedi- pediatric training centers. Um, we have a list of those training centers that we're, we're hoping to work with, um, but really developing those relationships. And, and that's, a, that's a long lead item. And, and having them open to that and, and welcoming us is a, is a wonderful way to, uh, to help. Well, what a system. great transition, Brian. Because what we would hope to do
1: is let's get a list of those partners and those training centers, and see if we can't wrap them into the healthcare uh, impact investing partnership. Because that's exactly what we're trying to do: is make sure that stakeholders across the ecosystem are engaged in generating these solutions. So, what do you have on the in, on the near term uh, horizon in terms of developments that have happened in the last few months since the last time we spoke, and what you've got looking forward in the next three or four?
0: So we. Um... You know, 2020 was a difficult year in many ways. Um, we had just opened a, um, a funding round when everything shut down and realized that it was not the right time to be raising money. And so uh, instead, we pulled our development efforts from um, from a, uh, an outside vendor in in-house and we have uh, brought them uh, into our own laboratory and and uh, and taken on a. Um, a chemist that uh, an experienced assay development chemist to to work with us, and so we're doing all that work in house. Um, and we have decided that the markets are starting to open up again. We're going to be opening up our um, our next round, and uh, we have demonstrated the that the assay works. Um, we're using raw saliva samples. We're not having to do any um, uh, sample preparation. Um, and we have the full clinical um, uh, relevant range of of um, and, and sensitivity. And and um, let me start again. We um, we have have been using raw saliva samples, so we don't need any sample prep. Um, uh, we are accurate across the full dynamic range uh, that's clinically relevant. Uh, we have the sensitivity that we're that we're looking for, and now. What we need to do is develop a, a handheld reader that uh, is low cost and doesn't have the bells and whistles. We've been working with a research instrument uh, that's unrealistic to put into the marketplace. And so uh, a majority of our funds will be um, will, will be focused on that um, and, and executing on our IP strategy and our marketing so that we can uh, be ready to go when we launch into the marketplace. So unlike your typical medical
1: device company, your bigger hurdle right now is to get some raw just raw engineering work done it that's out. right
0: that's it exactly that right and understand. and for those who have done medical devices you understand that there's a there's a real difference between a traditional um a traditional engineer and electrical or mechanical yeah. engineering and, and someone who who understands design work and understands how to work under design control so um we're, we're looking for those people and and uh and won't really want to hit the ground running and do this quickly
1: all right. Well, excellent.
0: Hey, Mike, let's uh, let's
1: wrap it up there for today. But I'm I'm really interested in getting uh, more involved with Brian and the company. And it's great having a Denver company. We always want to lean into companies based in our backyard. Great.
0: Thank you. Thanks, so much. Brian. Have a great day. Okay, Appreciate. you too. Bye-bye. See you again soon for the next episode of Innovation for Alpha. Make sure to go to Innovation for Alpha for access to prior episode links, show notes, and other valuable resources. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any investment decisions, please consult with a professional. This show is copyrighted by Angel Indie Media and written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.